feel like this is a shadow of last week and I feel like I've been transported back into 2020. Um, <laughs> um, but God is good, God remains good and um, may he have mercy on, on, our, on our land and on our, on our government. Uh, like was said, we're continuing it in our series uh, a gift of significance, um, and this week we're uh, looking at uh, the gift of frankincense. So we know that Jesus received three gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, um, and this week we're looking at the gift of frankincense. Um, the, the text I'm going to be in is Matthew 2, uh, verses 1 to 11, and um, yeah, I'm just going to give you a moment to turn there, and I'm going to read I'm going to pray, and then uh, we can uh, talk about God's word. Cool. So Matthew 2, verses 1 to 11. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For, it is writ for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent, to, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come. And worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold the star, and behold the star that they ha they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. Um, let's say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your great mercy to us. Uh, there is no one else that we can be thankful to for our lives um, and uh, all the gifts that you give, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gathering of your saints. Um, we thank you, Lord, for technology that can uh, communicate your truth or that, that can allow, your communicate to be, allow your truth to be communicated uh, over the internet. We thank you for all things. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, look at your word, you would uh, awaken our affections and deepen our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus. Lord, would you speak to the hearts of all listening? Um, may it not be I who speaks, but Lord, 
Uh, would you, through me, uh, be speaking and blessing your people with greater uh, knowledge, not just knowledge of mind, but uh, deep knowledge in the heart um, of you, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, uh, one of the, the surprising things, uh, one of the very surprising things that has taken me back, a pers- um, taken me back personally this year um, isn't that England got to the uh, Euros, the, the Euro finals. Uh, it wasn't the petrol crisis um, or any other of the crisis, crises that have been happening these, uh, this year. It's not the revelation of Downing Street Christmas parties. Um, for me, personally, it's the revelation that for the last few years I've been married to a herbalist. Um, I, wasn't <laughs> I wasn't aware that Chloe was a herbalist when I married her. Um, but Chloe has been filling our, our, our house with uh, many natural remedies and uh, some can be, some can smell interesting or taste interesting. And um, so when, when I said I was preaching on the gift of frankincense, she started telling me about everything that um, I need to know about frankincense. <laughs> so, but, but for us who don't know, who are, you know, less educated, <laughs> uh, frankincense is a resin, which is a thick substance um, that is extracted from a tree called a Boswellia tree. Um, and in ancient times, and even now, it is used for two main purposes. Um, so the first purpose is, is you know, kind of like medicinal purposes, um, which is to reduce inflammation in the body, uh, pain relief, and so on, you know, inflammation via Chloe. Um, and the other use is, um, especially in the ancient world, the other use had a lot to do with temple worship. Um, and not just Jewish temple worship in the Old Testament, but also pagan uh, temple worship in nations like uh, ancient Mesopotamia, in Egypt, in uh, uh, Assyria, in Babylon, and even up until the Romans. And it was mainly used in this pagan, uh, in this pagan way in the temples as burned incense. And it had a lot to do with communicating with the gods or even uh, feeding the gods in some cases. And the worshippers in these temples would, would often want to protect the gods from uh, human odor or bad human odor. And so when they worshipped, they would cover themselves either with uh, frankincense oil or they would burn the incense to protect the god from their odor and so that they would remain acceptable before those gods. In a bit of a similar way, in ancient Israel, frankincense was also used in the tabernacle or tent of meeting where uh, God would, um, in those times, come and dwell among his people um, and then in the temple. And And frankincense was burned alongside the sacrifices that were presented to God, uh, which were to provide temporary forgiveness of sins. And frankincense was used to create a pleasing aroma in uh, an atmosphere or an area where uh, animal sacrifices took place and there was a lot of blood and guts and so on. Um, and so frankincense helped to uh, make the atmosphere a lot more pleasing than uh, it was. And so when you came in the temple or, or in, a, in a tabernacle, uh, you'd have the outer court that is around the tabernacle itself or the tent. 
Then you have the bronze altar. When you come in, there's a bronze altar. There is the laver, which the priests would use to wash their hands and feet before entering into the, um, uh, the tabernacle itself. The tabernacle or the tent itself was, uh, had two sections. The first was the holy place and the second was the most holy place or the holy of holies. And uh, the holy place and the most holy place were divided by a, a veil or a curtain. And so when you walk into the holy place, you have the table of showbread, you have the golden lampstands, and then you have the curtain. And then behind the curtain, in the most holy place, you have the Ark of the Covenant, where God, uh, God's presence would come down specifically to dwell in that place, which is why it was the Holy of Holies. And um, in front of the veil that would separate the Holy of, Ho- holy of Holies from the, um, the holy place is the altar of incense. Um, and so right before you could enter the Holy of Holies, uh, you would have to burn incense um, before the Lord, and frankincense specifically would be burned here. The smell of frankincense would fill the tabernacle, so it was pleasing. And um, on the Day of Atonement especially, uh, frankincense or incense would have to be burned um, before entering the most holy place, not only for the smell but to create smoke so that um, uh, the priest's uh, direct sight would be covered um, or would be protected from seeing the mercy seat, which is on top of the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence would come down. And so the priest um, had to have his direct sight protected or shielded from uh, God's presence being there to save his life because God's presence there was so intense that if he were to look directly upon it and there was no smoke that would shield his eyes, uh, he, he, he may die. <laughs> so um, that is how frankincense is used. So frankincense was used pr- principally in the context of worship of a divine uh, being or a God who is worthy of that worship. Now when we hear the word worship, we might automatically think of uh, worship music or worship songs. We think of Hillsong or whoever it is that you listen to. But worship is not limited to music, uh, though it includes music. Worship is more to do with, the, with a whole lifestyle of outward and inward, real, almost religious, personal devotion to something Um, And that devotion reflects the importance of that thing um, that you are worshipping. It it demonstrates what you prize most uh, uh, in your life, what you give most priority in your life. So worship expresses devotion and displays the importance of whatever it is that you are worshipping. And as humans, we all worship something. We will be deeply devoted to something. The question is not whether we will worship. The question is what will we worship? And because of the fall, uh, sin came into the world through our first parents, through Adam and Eve, and into us. And we have rejected the true God, and we naturally prefer to do things our own way. And instead of worshipping the true God, the creator, we worship created things. 
We worship the things that make us feel good about ourselves and put us at the center. We worship the things that make us feel accepted or excited or gratified. We worship the things that make us feel liberated and free from all restriction. We worship the things that make us feel happy, sometimes even at the expense of others. We create and worship these gods because they give us a sense of transcendence. The gods we worship in turn make us feel like gods because they give us that sense that we are in control of our lives and our destiny, which was the, fund- the fundamental temptation that the devil presented Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said, you will be like God. And this worship could be us worshiping the gods of sexual pleasure or freedom, uh, pop culture, financial success. Uh, It could be us worshipping our own culture or heritage. It could be the gods of Islam or New Age beliefs or even worshipping non-belief as atheists do. The question is not whether we will worship. The question is what will we worship? All of us are tempted to make our own gods out of different things. And though we may not physically bow down or offer incense to these things, we are devoted and committed to them and to living our lives our own way. We want that full control. The problem with these gods that we create is that though we might fully devote ourselves to them, they overpromise and they underdeliver. They are not true gods. They fall short of what we expect of them and what we want from them. We use our time and our energy and invest in things that we believe will make us feel free and happy. But we will be found wanting and still be in left of need or left in need of something, something that is more substantial, that can help us through our hard times, something long-lasting and not fickle, something eternal to hope in, something to fill the emptiness we experience after having trusted in these false gods. If I was to put my trust in the God of money and worship at the altar of finance, I may enjoy life, but one way or another, either by losing that money I trusted in or by not having enough of it to provide me the contentment and peace that I long for, I will find that I need something more than what this false God offers me. If I put my trust in that which makes me feel happy and allows me to invest in myself and my wants and me time, I will soon find that I have no one left around me because my self-centeredness has damaged my relationships with others. 
if I find my God in unrestricted sexual freedom and pleasure, I may enjoy that. But I will soon find that what I went to to find freedom and liberation has, in fact, enslaved me and imprisoned me. And there are so many of these things that we devote ourselves to that not only disappoint us, but they leave us worse off than we were in the beginning. Are any of these gods worthy of our worship? Ask yourself, what, whatever it is that you put your trust in and devote yourself to, is that really worthy of your devotion and allegiance? Psalm 115, verses 4 to 8, give us an answer. It says, Their idols, or gods, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. They have noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel feet but do not walk and they do not make a sound in their throat those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them this is what our gods are like the gods and idols we make are empty and bankrupt and when we follow after them we too become like them, we become empty and bankrupt. But going back to the wise men, they devoted themselves to traveling hundreds of miles to offer frankincense and gold and myrrh before this baby in a house, and they fall down and worship him. What this says about Jesus is that he is an object of worship. He is not a mere human baby, but he is divine. And more than that, he is God himself in human form. The one who created all things come as a baby. The Nicene Creed says, He is God of God. He is light of light. He is very God of very God. In other words, he is who God is. And this is the basic point of the gift of frankincense. What it tells us about Jesus is that he is the true God and he is worthy of our worship. And we can put him up against the gods that we make, like in Psalm 115. The gods that we make cannot do anything. They are empty. But the true God, in verse 3 of Psalm 115, is in the heavens and does all that he pleases. And it pleased the true, immortal, and invisible God to put on mortal flesh and become visible. The immortal God put on a body with a mouth to speak and eyes to see. 
ears to hear, a nose to smell, hands to feel, feet to walk like we do. And we didn't have to make him up. He is not the work of our hands. He made us and we are the work of his hands. And though we chose not to become like him, he became like us so that all who trust in him can become like him. He is the only true God who is worthy of worship. And I want to give three reasons why we should worship him and devote our know what the true God is like. We create things out of things that we we create gods out of things that we can see or tangibly feel because we don't know what the true God is like. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. But then it goes on to say that Jesus, the Son of God, has made him known. Jesus makes God, Jesus makes the true God accessible. The transcendent God steps into human history and reveals himself as a genuine historical person that cannot be denied or wished away as conspiracy theory. You know, if anyone ever tells you that Jesus never existed, that is just fundamentally uh, really bad historical information. 1 John 1, 1 1-3 says, That which was from the beginning which is Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is telling us that this is no conspiracy. This isn't a dream or hallucination. But Jesus was a genuine person who they could touch and talk to and listen to. Yet he was still fully God. He was from the beginning, even though he was a baby in a manger. This is a God that we don't have to create And therefore, we do not need to look to the culture or to philosophy or even inside ourselves to find out who God is or what he is like. We know what God is like in Jesus Christ. Jesus has made God known. We no longer have to deal with a theoretical, abstract, unknowable God. If we want to understand who God is and what he is like, we can look to Jesus. People love the phrase, God is love. But what does that mean? The phrase by itself is abstract and subjective. I can take that to mean whatever I want it to mean. But that doesn't get me any closer to knowing who God is or what his love is. It is too abstract It's too subjective. But what does the scripture really say? The full scripture, not just the the lovely saying. 
First John 4, 8 to 10 says, Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of God itself was made manifest. It was taken out of the abstract and the subjective and was made real and substantial in Jesus Christ. So we know that God is love expressly and only because Jesus came to die in our place for sins. And therefore, Jesus is the revelation and the embodiment of all that God is. Jesus is the true God revealed to us. But not only this, my second reason is that Jesus is the true God with us. Jesus is the true God with us. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God come down to dwell with humanity personally, face to face. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. When it says he dwelt among us, this literally means he tabernacled among us, so tented among us, like I mentioned earlier. And it points back to that tabernacle in the Old Testament where the presence of God would come down um, and dwell in the midst of the people. But it would come down in such a way that approaching improperly would be to your own peril and would kill you. But here in Jesus, God is fully and unthreateningly approachable. He has joined in humanity, not only by having a body, but he comes in such a way that he joins in the full flow of human life. He possessed the fullness of what it means to be a human just like we do. I mentioned earlier that uh, frankincense was used to uh, cover up human odor. But God has come down so authentically into the human experience that he would not only smell human odor up front, but would himself emit it. Such is the humility of the Lord. And this helps us understand God's withness with us, if I can use that word, withness. We can often think that God doesn't care about us, he doesn't understand us, he cannot relate to us, he, he does not substantially care about our real world, real life problems. And that causes us to turn to things that, make, to turn to things that we then make into God's in order to help us in our problems. But God completely understands and cares for you. 
He knows personally and has felt and sees your real needs and your struggles and your weaknesses, your griefs, your cares, your joys, your temptations. His identification with you is the difference between learning a theory and real life, first-hand, in-this-world experience. God did not go through a classroom simulation of what it means to be a human. But what we experience, he experienced. We have a God who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And the fact that he was tempted and was without sin does not lessen his identification with us, but rather it, it intensifies his identification with us. If being tempted was like holding on to hot coals and sinning was to let go of those coals, uh, while we drop the coals quickly because we are so easily prone to sin um, and don't feel the full force of temptation because we sin before we can, Jesus held on to the hot coals until the heat fully sears through the skin of his hands. Jesus felt the full intensity and heat of temptation far more than we who quickly fall to temptation. And with his scorched hands, he is able to give us help when we need it, when we are tempted. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and go astray. Since he himself was made subject to weakness, he was subject to living in this world full of the things that afflict us and intimidate us, the things that tempt us or make us weary and stressed and depressed. He felt it too. He feels what we feel. This is why he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The true God is with us and sees our need more deeply than anyone or anything we can turn to. So Jesus is the God, is a true God revealed to us. He is the true God with us. And Jesus is the true God for us. He came for our sake. Because of the fall, the world which we, are, we were created to enjoy and fellowship with God and have relationship with him is a dark and corrupted place. We live in a world and we live in cities and in families and even in bodies and souls that are in need of God's saving grace. 
to save us from the power of sin and the devil and death. Because of the fall, we have turned from worshipping the true God, the God who loves us. We have turned our backs on him and said, I don't need God. And instead, we worship impotent gods of our own making and worship ourselves. But neither of these are able to resolve the problems our sin brings. Whatever it is that we turn to, instead of the true God, will only drag us deeper into the problems that sin brings, and it will only reveal our powerlessness to change ourselves, or our broken relationships, or our families, or our communities. It will only reveal our powerlessness to release ourselves from the guilt of the sin and wrong that we do when no one is watching. It will show our powerlessness to satisfy the deep sense of longing and satisfaction that we look to in created things. What we need most deeply is the true God who loves us and will do all in his power to save us, to change us, to release us, to forgive us and to restore our souls. The problem is, you cannot get to God because you have turned from him with your sin, and you cannot work your way back to him into a peaceful relationship with him, with your, with your polluted moralism or strict religious adherence. To reach him is to ascend a mountain that you cannot climb. To reach him is to cross a chasm that you cannot cross. You can try with good deeds, but that will not help you. You can try with every human solution. Every human solution with, uh, uh, for restoration and true peace but these cannot save you. Why did Jesus come? 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. John 3:16 to 17 says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Instead of you having to go up to God, In Jesus, God climbs down the mountain and comes to you. He traverses the chasm that you are unable to cross. And he did so at great cost to himself. He did not have to, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, 
became a human and climbed down into our dark world. He was obedient at every point and never turned his back on God like we do. He was obedient to the point of suffering, even suffering a shameful and naked death. The death which is reserved for those who say, I don't want God, because outside of him, all there is, is death. He does for you what no other one of your gods can do for you. He gave himself up completely for you. We turned our backs on him, but he did not turn his on us but was born in order to live the life that we don't deserve. Jesus Christ is the true God who came into the world for us. And after this this great sacrifice of his overflowing love, he rose from the dead, and he is the most highly exalted one above every other name above every other God. And there will come a time where we will all worship him, even if not by choice, because he is the only one who is worthy of worship. And we who know him and love him will choose to worship him and give thanks to him, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. He is the King of the ages, the only true God to whom shall be honor and glory and power and wisdom forever and ever. The true God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. The true God is with us in Jesus. The true God is for us in Jesus. We must return to worshipping him and not our false gods or ourselves. How do we do this? We must turn from our sin. We must turn from the gods that we trust in, those false gods that we gave ourselves to, and trust in him alone. Trust and believe that he came as a man and died for your sins and rose from the dead and that he will return. Repent and believe in Jesus, the true God. And our worship before him will be as incense, as frankincense, which is true incense before him. And so may this Christmas season not just be um, understood as the rest of the world understands it, as just a time for family and gifts and food or time of work. But may this Christmas and beyond be filled with the worship of Jesus, the true God, the true God, the only God who is worthy. Amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.